0: Hello and welcome everyone to this week's edition of Truth to Power with me, Justin Mogg, co-hosting this week with uh, two great uh, programmers I'm delighted to be on the air with. Uh, K.A. Owens is joining me in the studio, host of On the Edge. How are you doing this afternoon, K.A.?
1: Doing real good, uh, uh, ladies and gents, and uh, glad to be here with uh, everyone.
0: Yeah, good to have you here. And Hart Hagen's in the virtual studio with us. How are you doing, Hart? Great, Justin. How are you? Awesome. We've assembled a a couple great guests along with us to talk about the new Jim Crow, which is Michelle Alexander's uh, man momentous book. Well, how do you even define this? Is a this is one of those paradigm shifting books from 2010. Uh, talking about uh, the 13th Amendment to the Constitution and the school-to-prison pipeline and how Jim Crow is working in the modern era. And we're going to talk about it with uh, Danita Wright, who's joining us from here in Louisville, concerned citizen and founder of Coalition for West Louisville Neighborhoods. Welcome, Danita. Hi. It's good to have you here. And uh, joining us from Springfield, Tennessee, again, is Kelly McGuffey, a mother and activist down there. Hey, Kelly. Hey, guys. All right. It's good to have you for this uh, book club of the air. Right? <laughs> we're, we're gonna right, right. <laughs> we're gonna talk yeah. about machine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're going to talk about Michelle's text, uh, probably over several different shows. Uh, I think that's what we've got in mind here. Because uh, so, it's such a rich topic, and there's so so much to talk about. And certainly this has taken issues that are right here in, in the, the news day to day, in the streets. You know, people are, are, are really rising up over this issue and, and making change about it right now. So even though this text came out in 2010, it's it's certainly <clears> a living, <throat> breathing down document that, we, that is vital to discussion today. I think Hart uh, wants to open it up with some introduction to the text and to Michelle Alexander.
2: Take it away, Hart. Okay, let me, uh, so Michelle Alexander was an ACLU attorney, and at first she didn't get it, but here's how her experience of how she started to get it. She hmm. said, I chose to focus on the experience of black men at a time when little attention was paid to the devastating impact of the, of the drug war on black communities. I was inspired to write the book due to my experiences as a civil rights lawyer at the ACLU of Northern California. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, investigating patterns of drug law enforcement in communities of color, and representing victims of racial profiling. The here's the point. The overwhelming majority of those who contacted my office to report being stopped, frisked and searched or brutalized by the police were black men. Mm. When I began researching and writing this book, the number of people in prisons and jails for drug offenses had increased more than 1000% in 30 years and black men were being swept into the system for minor drug crimes at grossly disproportionate rates. Stunningly, one in three black men had a felony record in 2010, and it was predicted that if current trends continued, one in three black men would spend time in prison and the vast majority would acquire a criminal record during their lifetime.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that lays it out right there. I, I want to welcome too, we got, we've got we got a last minute addition to the show. I'm so excited to see that Andrew Kang Bartlett has joined us in the studio. Uh, hey, welcome,
3: Andrew. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and, just uh, here to listen in and learn from you all and oh, uh, plug in a bit if, if needed.
0: That's what that's what this is all about. It's a community conversation. And we we love you listening in, whether you're uh, in this virtual studio with us or on the radio. Uh, Andrew's been a longtime activist and, you know, I've seen him out on the streets for Black Lives Matter. So, Andrew, uh, have you read Michelle Alexander's The New Jim Crow?
3: Yeah, I read it a number of years ago and it kind of set me on a course of wanting to learn more and more and uh, found... Other books kind of covering that same territory like Slavery, Slavery by Another Name. Um, what was another one? The, uh, oh yeah, The Half Has Never Been Told, oh, Slavery and yeah. the Making of American Capitalism. Oh mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, and then most recently Chokehold, The Policing of Black Men, right. which was written by a former prosecutor, kind of hardcore um, black prosecutor who kind of saw the system from the inside and, and really did a complete turn in his views on, on uh black, the policing of black men and the incarceration system. So, and, yeah. Definitely, yeah.
0: And how about you, Danita and Kelly, um, when you were first exposed to this book, uh, did it say something new to you or were you like, yep, I already knew that.
4: <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty much, um, you know, of course there is an addendum. Of course there is a re-release. Of course there is. It's never stopped. You know, of course we have to add new stuff because there's new stuff to add.
0: Mm.
4: Hello, you guys are in Louisville. What do you, how many voting precincts do you have in Louisville? We're I'm after- November. How many of you all will be how many will be going to those? We have 5.
0: I think they said six, isn't that right, KA? Did oh, six. Say again it's now. Six per- voting approval. polls poll places on, on election day this year.
1: Oh, you mean in Jefferson County? Yeah, here oh, there's Jefferson eight County. in Jefferson County. Oh, they're gonna
0: be eight. Okay. Yeah. Oh well. That's, look that's an improvement at that. over the primary. <laughs>
4: exactly. But I mean, here you are and you know you're asking us about Jim Crow. What is your experience with Jim Crow feel like right now?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean
4: what did, What's it feel like? It feels <laughs> awful.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
4: So,
0: well, feels I mean, like
4: standing in a long, long line to do your duty as an American.
2: So. Let me share it. There's many heartbreaking stories and uh, statistics that we could talk about, but let, let me uh, give you this quote. It says, nearly everyone seems to be aware that our democracy is in crisis, yet few seem to prepared to reckon with the reality that removing Trump from office will not get rid of our social and political dynamics that made his election possible. No issue has proved more vexing to this nation than the issue of race, and yet no question is more pressing than now to overcome the politics of white supremacy. A form of politics that not only led to an actual civil war, but that threatens our ability ever to create a truly fair, just, and inclusive democracy. We find ourselves in this dangerous place not because something radically different has occurred in our nation's politics, but because so much has remained the same.
4: Twelve mm-hmm. $12 million the same. I mean just to keep keep that hope alive. They would rather than to do the right thing and use the law for what it's written for and prosecute those men that killed that woman, Brianna Taylor. You know, that's all you have to do. Just treat the police like you would treat you and I. When they make a mistake that ends somebody's life, they we have to pay for it.
2: Well, why don't they? Why wrong, don't they treat the police like everybody else?
4: Right. If I shoot you, even if it's accidentally, um, I can't go to the police and say, well, hey, you know, it was an accident. He was... nice. He was really a nice guy. I didn't mean it. You know, let me go home. <laughs> <laughs> let me just go home. Um, You know, I like I said, that people will continue to perpetuate the system and that we will stand idly by and pay. Watch our cities continue to pay as your kids are going to to inadequate classrooms, as your streets are falling apart, as you can't get the programs that you need in your, in your neighborhoods. You know, these are all areas that suffer when they, you know, when you can't get, uh, Access to public transportation perhaps or you can't get access to after after school care services for your children.
2: Well Kelly, you don't know. you know that over policing is the single best use of our tax dollars?
4: Well, well, why? Yeah, that's why the Louisville police is getting a nuclear sub. I saw it.
1: No. <laughs> that's the least
2: we can do for them. That's, <laughs> the least we blue can lives do. matter.
0: I mean, God, blue
4: lives matter, guys.
0: <laughs> blue sub
4: Let me just let me be real clear and real honest. We have all seen some really horrific things play out on the West Coast for law enforcement. And I don't condone that 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 kind of behavior. That's not how we we fix the system. That's how we continue to distance ourselves from a solution. So, um, like I said, I joke a lot and and about law enforcement and such, but I have a deep-seated respect for those men and women who just want to do their job and go home. However, part of that job needs to be defined as as turning in other officers for Mm. these kinds of behaviors.
2: Why don't they do that? Why don't they do that?
4: Well, unfortunately, um, are you
2: suggesting that partners sometimes (gasps) cover for each other?
4: (gasps) To me, like I said, I have been, I've led a very, um, colorful life. Um, I have not gotten any trouble myself, but I've known people who have, and, um, Like I said, the police are not these upright, the upright citizens brigade that they are portrayed to be. They um, assault people, um, both physically and sexually. Um, They rob people from time to time. um, And you can happen to lose your life in their custody from time to time. Um, These are these are facts that we. um,
2: How does that happen? How does that happen?
4: Because we're in the black community, and they've already they and by they, I mean the machine, like I said, you talked about the effort that's being spent on maintaining this racist system. It's all part of the dedication to the racist system, and nobody knows why they're doing it even even within their' even in within self when they are doing these things, they don't know why.
2: So Michelle Alexander talks about social control. This is a system of social control. So yeah. what does that mean? And you know, is there any truth in that?
1: Well, uh, just as as a matter of fact, there's some uh, there's a professor at East, Eastern Kentucky University. Because you know they have they have a school of police science there. And uh, I never steal a quote. I can't re- can remember his name, but he wrote a either wrote a book or a paper where he said that the purpose of American policing was to control dissent and not control crime. Mm. So that's one thing for people to uh, remember. Now, one of the reasons that police aren't punished here in this country is because they stand in the place of elites in the sense they represent the wishes and desires of elites. That is, the police organizations are essentially working-class people who are allowed to live a middle-class lifestyle um, in exchange for enforcing the will of elites physically, physically enforcing. That is, if you think about the criminal justice system, you have the judges, the prosecutors, and the police. Now, most judges in the United States are former prosecutors, not former defense attorneys. So the judges and the prosecutors, they see themselves as the brains and the police as the muscle. Mm. And so that's why, and because they're a working-class organization, who's allowed to live a middle-class lifestyle, they have carved out sort of unique relationship with elites. And one of the things they've demanded from elites is they said, look, if we're going to keep the black and the brown and the poor people, if we're going to break strikes when you need us, uh, we need certain protections. Uh, That's why we need the police officers' Bill of Rights and uh, all these. We need more protections than other public employees. Uh, Because we're going to do things that, you know, that the uh, 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 code enforcement officer is not going to do. We're going to do things the sanitation worker is not going to do. We're going to do the dirty work to keep the black and the brown and the poor people under control and we need certain protections in exchange for that. And if you look at, for instance, one of the, uh, you know, heralded law enforcement organizations, heralded by some, uh, Los Angeles Police Department, if you look at their history, there was a time in the, uh, you know, 30s, 40s, and 50s where they openly uh, wanted to recruit southern white males because they believed that southern white males knew how to keep the the brown, the black and brown people under control. Wow. So that's this is this is you can look that up. So uh, you know they wanted southern white males with military background, uh, and of course you know it was LAPD it was one of the founding founders of the uh, SWAT. Concept of militarized policing, and they like to think their police academy is uh, the best. And uh, and it's, but it's the funny thing about the LAPD is, uh, whenever you meet somebody from LA and you say to them, "Hey, I just read our article about uh, the LAPD has improved," and they say, uh, "No."
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it, and it's crazy to me that we give these police protection in. The, in the context of if you fear for your life you have a license to do anything so it comes down to fear well what's racism (laughs) but fear right oh wow
4: it's the it's the only civilian the only job in the civilian world where killing someone is in your standard operating (laughs) procedure manual. Literally, and like Ka was saying, he is absolutely right to to follow up on that. We are definitely in a in a law enforcement system that has been designed to put the police in an overseer.
3: Mm.
4: See, see, in a, in in the communities of color, we see the crime and punishment police, and on the other side of the tracks, you guys see the. Protect and serve. Officer
1: friendly. People.
4: Yeah, officer yeah. friendly. The, the, every officer is a good guy. He's just your friend. And see, in our community, you could try to tell that to the kids, but a lot of kids have already had a negative experience with the police in some way. So even kids, they're like, mm, I, I'm not convinced, you know. Right. So... There's that deep-seated distrust. You have a, a police force who who are almost impassioned to police people of color. You know, it's almost like a a Greek tragedy. It's just like, oh my gosh, if you don't protect us from these people yeah. and keep them out of our neighborhoods, how do we keep them out? So, you know the <laughs> The police per- you make a perimeter around our communities and they keep us in there. <laughs> and if you come out, then the example that's typically made of you, like we see in Ferguson, um, in uh, St. Louis, you know, it was very wide known, well known that the police, if you were not on your side of the tracks or within your zip code, you were about to get a ticket. And I'm not talking about like a couple of hundred bucks, like a seatbelt ticket. I'm talking about $1,000, $2,000, just outrageous traffic fines written for people of color that could just never, you know, pay those, pay that off. And so now you're in a position, well, if I don't pay $2,000, I lose my license and I, and I go to jail. <laughs> so now you've lost your license. Now you've gone to jail. And you still owe the two thousand dollars plus court costs. How is that helping people? Mm-hmm. It's not.
2: Right. but phenol-
4: unless you're trying to get them back to jail, now it'll help them get them back in jail <laughs> and keep you there.
2: Yeah, that's the purpose. You've hit. You've you've discovered the purpose of it all.
5: Well, mm-hmm. this whole this whole um, United States of America has become one great big giant. Cotton field, mm. and the workers are the working poor, mm-hmm. whites, uh, poor whites as well as black and brown, and the police have now taken the place of the whipping, the super- overseer, the guys that used to whip the the mm-hmm. runaways and everything. You know, they've taken their place. So to me, this whole new Jim Crow is inclusive of poor whites too you know and at the end game i think is that they just don't want any poor folks around they want to make all rich and wealthy so i just i honestly believe that there's going to come a day where um and and they've already taken a step they take these steps and the step Big step that they took was uh, Citizens United. Yeah. There's going to come a time when poor folks are not going to be able to vote. But mm-hmm. well, the the ones that's going to take care of the voting, if you don't have a corporation, if you don't have a business, you will not be able to vote. Only corporate entities will be able to vote because now they are considered people, individuals. Right. And to me, that's where this end game is going. This Jim Crow, it's this new Jim Crow. That's where it's going to.
2: Let's look at some of the, let's look at some of the stats In less than 30 years, us penal population exploded from around 300,000 to more than 2 million with drug convictions accounting for the majority of the increase. The United States now has the highest rate of incarceration in the world dwarfing the rates of nearly every developed country, even surpassing those in highly repressive regimes like Russia, China and Iran. Mm -hmm. In in Germany, 93 people are in prison for every 100,000 adults and children. In the United States, the rate is roughly eight times that or 750 per 100,000. Wow. The racial dimension of mass incarceration is its most striking feature. No other country in the world imprisons so many of its racial or ethnic minorities. The United States imprisons a larger percentage of its black population than did South Africa did at the height of apartheid. Let
4: that be a lesson to you. I mean, they they lie to us every day. We are the land of the free, land of the free. My behind. Three million right. people. In, we we are the most incarcerated nation in the world. The most incarcerated nation in the universe. Then by
5: default. We, <laughs> that's yeah. That's a lot. It's, 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 <laughs> we're, we're, slavery is growing, it's growing. Mm. Mm-hmm.
4: Right under our nose, under the under the guise of of criminal justice and reform. Mm-hmm. You know, keep our streets <laughs> safe. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 hidden under laws
5: and acts now.
4: You know, we are in a we are in a time right now where there's the right thing and then there's the rules. And there's there are some of us out here are really trying to do the right thing. And then there is a group of us that are really out there saying, well, rules are rules. I don't care. I know it might seem like it's not the right thing, but the rules said and rules are rules. And anytime they feel challenged, they pull out that the rules are rules.
5: Uh, card you know
4: that's a that's a myth
5: even if they do wrong they can change the rules mm. to make it right
2: mm. Whatever oh,
3: immediately.
5: They do wrong they can make it right
4: Breonna Taylor didn't come with a union mm. with a PR team with somebody who is going to release a statement to every major news uh, broadcasting agency around the globe within an hour about her side of the story see brianna doesn't have that machine running behind her she's just got the strength of the guy who got arrested (laughs) for laying in bed next to her
0: and talk about someone who was following all the rules. I mean, Breonna Taylor right. was such a wonderful model citizen, doing nothing wrong in her own home. Uh, so right. so it's crazy that we talk about rule breaking as if, as if that's what's really the problem here. <laughs>
4: but rules are rules. Rules are rules. And they were just trying to do their job, and it's not their fault they had to kill them because he shot at them, you know... I get so tired of them beating these dead horses in the road, Mm. you know. They just, they've beat the poor thing to dust and it has gone on down the road. But at the end of the day, they'll lean on that rules of rules anytime. You know, how many times have you heard that in an argument about a police brutality or or a police shooting? Well, if they had just followed the rules because rules are rules time uh,
1: for a reason interestingly enough at one time in the country white people had a a, had a had a great resistance to any type of federal police force that would uh, get involved in people's lives on a day-to-day basis that's why we have the you know the fbi that has sort of limited jurisdiction and the border patrol which is supposed to have limited jurisdiction and u s marshals and all have very limited jurisdiction uh not involving people's lives on an everyday basis, but it's interesting as a result of the war on terror, of course, they combined a lot of different agencies uh uh you know one of those musical chairs reshuffling mm. with the department of homeland sure. Department of homeland security and so uh so what the president's office now decided to essentially collect these various federal law enforcement agencies and They've got another a, a federal law enforcement agency that's just supposed to protect the buildings. But what they can do, they take uh, these various conglomerations of federal law enforcement agencies and put them in uh, camouflage garb and, and, uh, uh, and uh, send them around the country in, in groups. Now, were they designed to be used that way? Well, we don't know, but... Uh, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, Border Patrol is only supposed to operate a certain distance from the border, so on and so forth. <laughs> uh, you know, ICE yeah. is supposed to have limited jurisdiction, but they're able to do that. In the, and so you have this interesting scene of sort of uh, uniformed officers without badges, I mean, without insignia or without nameplates, you know, sort of roaming around certain cities, uh, arresting people and so on and so forth. And there's a theory that is that because the, the system that's in place is deliberately creating rising inequality that you that, that the people in charge, they want more police to sort of tamp down natural reactions from lack of opportunity and rising inequality. So. Uh, so. The,
4: well, we have all these figures of authority and they're the you know they're inflated in the eyes of the public but their powers are so limited just like you were saying we have the border patrol but you can only chase me x amount of miles from the border and then you got to turn me over to another set of alphabet numbers or alphabet letters and they can chase me for a while and then maybe if i hop a county line maybe that sheriff can chase me and you know you are very right we have we have so much power given out but is it real power is it even real power or is it just something that they're just all of these different facets to the same diamond you know but at the end of the day no one facet holds the key no one facet is really out to enforce the law um i see what you're saying with the people and, and that's i don't know about that i haven't like i said i'm not on the ground in portland i've seen reports they could go either way that there's insignias or not. So I'm not going to say either way. But to me, um, if they are not wearing in- insignias, I don't believe they are actual law enforcement. And um, don't get me to rolling on my conspiracy theories. <laughs> because, um, you know, Betsy DeVos's brother owns Blackwater.
2: Oh yeah. Mm. So
4: you know, I I don't I don't put that past and I haven't since he installed Betsy DeVos. I've always thought that maybe there was a little foreshadowing as to why her brother owned Blackwater, how she got the job, and will we see anything else manifest from that as we approach the election and beyond? Maybe.
1: Blackwater USA uh is sort of a infamous uh what some people might call mercenaries, some people call contractors. Uh, they're sort of this gun for hire, but in large numbers. And so, yeah. the federal military corporation, some of the kind of structures they, you know, uh, formalized to deal with the uh, the uh, alleged war on terror. Uh, so, uh, yes, an interesting figure in 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 uh, 21st century uh, history: the rise of mercenary armies.
4: uh, Well, when you need to do a job that is not ethically aligned with your country's mission, then you need to pay somebody to do that job.
2: Oh, that's right. Let's talk about the uh, Mm -hmm. uh, being not being ethically aligned with your Mm -hmm. country's mission. Uh, Here's a quote from the book. It said the CIA and I read a whole book about this. It's called Dark Web. By about dark alliance by gary webb but it said the cia admitted in 1998 that guerrilla armies it actively supported in nicaragua were smuggling illegal drugs into the united states drugs that were making their way onto the streets of inner city black neighborhoods in the form of crack cocaine mm-hmm. the cia also admitted that in the midst of the war on drugs it blocked law enforcement efforts to investigate illegal drug networks that were helping to fund its covert war in Nicaragua. So everybody is, I mean, people have heard of the Iran Contra scandal because it was the biggest scandal of the Reagan administration but there's an aspect of it that they do not know, which is that drug dealing, so the sales of arms to Iran was used to fund the Contras in Nicaragua. Also, cocaine sales was used to fund the Contras. Yeah, the CIA. In Nicaragua. And that is the reason for the crack epidemic that caused the, the, the flood it. of cheap crack cocaine.
4: And the CIA tur- and the DEA turned blind eye to all of it.
2: Right, right.
4: Like the drug dealers in the in the cities even Freeway Ricky w- Ross who is oh, one yeah. of the biggest b- right. businessmen of mm-hmm. all time in the drug right. game did not own a plane he mm-hmm. was not flying back and forth to Nicaragua and bringing cocaine up here mm-hmm. no there I, if it wasn't for cocaine i believe miami would just be a swamp right <laughs> you know mm-hmm. let's be honest i right. mean drug have built this economy just as much as you know illicit drugs hold this economy up in many many ways if there's millions and billions of dollars of drugs coming into the country then we have to assume that there's somebody's getting those billions of dollars and spending it somewhere (laughs) in this in the country so you know drugs are part of our economy whether we want to admit it or not but um, you, you know there the government was
2: but they somehow in the popular imagination, there's the there are these stereotypes of black neighborhoods, black people, you know, that the, you blame it on the stereotype instead of looking at the reality.
4: Well, the reality is, is that powder cocaine is not as punished as harshly as crack right. cocaine. Right. And we know, we, and unfortunately, in those of us of the world who have watched a few films of, of, of the sort, have seen that you know certain people do one and certain people do the other and so for one to not be punished as harshly as the other seems unfair but if you're not in the group that's being punished more harshly okay <laughs> you know it's like well
2: right so here's something that, that addresses you. that it says studies show this is a quote from the book studies show that people of all colors use and sell illegal drugs at remarkably similar rates if there are significant differences in the surveys to be found they frequently suggest that whites particularly white youth are more likely to engage in drug crime than people of color and yet who is disproportionately impacted
4: oh well you just had an example here recently a young man on a home school video call had a nerf gun in the background and his teacher who had a choice at that moment. Miss Smith said, rules are rules. And had <laughs> had that boy suspended. Wow. Had him suspended for having a Nerf gun, a gun-like object in the background. And this is a, a young black boy. In his home? Yeah, you know, and the, that follows him. You know, the next year it'll be like, the, the next school he goes to, they're gonna see he had a gun-like You know, all they're going to see is had a gun.
2: Nerf guns don't kill people. Kids with (laughs) Nerf guns kill people.
4: Right, right. And, you know, of all the things that you got going on in your virtual classroom, you know, protecting a kid from killing himself with a Nerf gun is not the answer. You're not going to get any Teacher of the Year awards for that, Miss Rules of Rules. You know, nobody's going to clap for you for doing that. You know, why would you? But here you are. And even though it seems so benign, it's a, just a suspension. It's not for young black males. It's, it's not. A lot of times this is, a you know, it just starts, starts a sad and unnecessary chain of events for yeah. the young man who is now labeled a gun-toting kid mm. in, the, in the years to come. Like I said, unfortunately, we would like to think teachers read well. We would like to think they pay attention to those things. Mm-hmm. They'll see, had a gun. <laughs> then they'll take it to the to the teacher's lounge and be like, girl, you know what he, he did in sixth grade? He had a gun. <laughs> you better watch out for him. And from then on
2: out. <laughs> how many people believe, how many people believe in like, the rule of law and like, especially immigrants that break the law need to be held accountable for the law. They have no idea how much our government breaks the law every day before breakfast. <laughs> oh
5: okay. you know? yeah, yeah, but they make laws to make those laws. Right. Like mm.
4: Exactly. They, it's, it is very funny to me how they play this game and they are absolutely the biggest organized criminal organization in the world. I hate to say it like that. Oh, I yeah. hate to think of my government as a bunch of thugs in suits. Oh, that's how the, the rest
5: of the world sees them. Yeah.
2: Right. They, oh, are. Yeah. Right.
4: they are. We are. We are just like Al Capone. This is just like Las Vegas here. I mean, people are getting, getting killed. People are getting disappeared. Um, <laughs> suicided right here under our nose right under our nose we watched the poor guy we watched an american citizen walk walk into the consulate and come out in little pieces and then we watched
5: our president give that guy a high five the next week does this sound does, oh, this, yeah. sound, does this sound familiar to you that that what other country has done that does, oh does that it. sound familiar to you iraq there's a lot lots of third world scary places something in that's close to the president
0: russia <laughs> i just want to jump oh, in god.
5: oh god he, oh, thank you thank you ding, ding ding ding
0: you got it okay
1: hey hey if you <laughs> speak either. out against putin uh you'll you'll be taking a like like that long drop from a tall building or uh you get tea,
4: getting the radioactive tea. You know if you mess with Putin, you're getting the the plutonium tea. That's what he does. (laughs) You mess with Kim Jong-un, you're going to get bumped into by a little girl in the airport and fall over
5: dead. That's what happens to you. (laughs) The apple doesn't fall too far from the... You, you fly a plane called the Lolita
4: Express and they put you in jail and then all of a sudden you kill yourself.
0: Oh my gosh. I want to <laughs> remind our listeners that you Accidents are tuned in to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, and this is Truth to Power. Uh, we've got a great community conversation going on inspired by the 10th anniversary of the new Jim Crow, Michelle Alexander's seminal text from 2010. Uh, I'm Justin Mogg, uh, and we've got in the studio K.A. Owens from On the Edge and Hart Hagen from Let's Talk in the Climate Report. Some great community activists are in the studio with us as well. Danita Wright from uh, Coalition for West Louisville Neighborhoods. Kelly McGuffey, a mother and activist out of Springfield, Tennessee. And we've got a new person joining us in the virtual studio. Welcome Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion, Kentucky.
6: Hey, Alice. Hey, I did not realize this was recorded. I got a link to a book club meeting. It is a book club. <laughs> it's know. the book club I'm of the air. It's going to Radio. <laughs> and I'm popping in late because I wanted to say hey to... I'm psyched to see you, Danita. I ain't seen you in a minute, even yeah. if it's on oh Zoom. God. And hey, Justin Hart.
2: Hey, and smile, and smile. Never, you're on I candid camera. <laughs> been,
6: but I feel excited to meet you. So I'm going right. to be mostly uh, quiet until...
2: Oh, that's cool. We're used too, to you being quiet, Alice. I've never known you, you to be anything but quiet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's a little laughs> church mouse. <laughs>
0: it's
6: good practice for me.
2: Well, I, I would like to
0: jump back to something Danita said. You know, she was saying, they don't, it seems like they don't want any poor people around at all. Well, I got a solution for that. How about we just redistribute the wealth? There's plenty to go around. You all like there don't need to be any poor people at
2: all. Uh, Do you so... want to draw back a nub?
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You might you you're just looking for somebody to march up my uh, driveway with the pitchforks and the torches, aren't you? Redistribute wealth. What? That's like also made in New York City. Huh? <laughs> what you say? <laughs> uh, no. Uh, you know, but the thing is, I don't believe that. I just believe that they, I believe that there is a place for us working folks. Mm. I believe there's a place for the working class. I believe there's a place for poor people in, a, in society. It's just how do they cope with, like I said, in a society where prices of things continue to go up because there are people that are willing to pay for them. The problem is contending with how do we keep the poor people around while we still pay for our
5: expensive stuff. Well this is the, all our stuff. Yeah, be we have to create our own stuff. We have to we have to band together. It's it's gonna be in the power of unity. And it's gonna right. come out of cooperative, cooperative grocery stores, cooperative businesses, cooperative housing, cooperative apartment complexes. That's where we're going to meet the mm. wealthy at their own game, beat them at their what, own game.
4: But see, and then there we circle back around to the original topic of the new Jim Crow. Like I said, what what you say, I see what you're saying, Danita, because I, I believe the same thing. But then we circle back around to that new Jim Crow. Are they gonna let it happen? Are they gonna allow us to even have those cooperatives? Are they going, I'm not gonna say they're going to bomb us out of existence like they did Black Wall Street, but it's you can time. legally bomb the hell out of somebody and ruin everything. You can right. mandate and legislate something right out of existence.
5: Yeah, um, but that's if you're in that position. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we also learn that they do the things they do because they're in that position, but guess what? We can be in that position also. I don't know why we vote for people with the most money. Why, why do we vote for millionaires?
2: We don't have a choice. Why
5: do we do that?
4: We don't have a choice, like Hart said, because number one, we understand that that we have a personal opinion, and if we enter politics, that personal opinion dies the day we sign our name on that dotted line. We cannot be the people that we are today if we were in politics. We would have to be the people that the people needed us to be, you know, so... For a lot of us, there's that jump in that hurdle and taking on up the cross of your constituents versus your own personal feelings, because I can see how in a lot of cases for politicians that might not always nece- necessarily glib together. What Don't so, you think?
5: What do you, don't you think that still the power of unity will beat that cause also, that, that issue also? the power of unity. You know, I'm with the coalition for West Louisville Neighborhood Associations. I'm trying to 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 teach them you have you have a voice and you've been using that voice but all by yourself. Now imagine this. You go before a metro council of the city with a problem and you've got nine more neighborhood associations behind you backing you writing their names down on that piece of paper that you sent in that letter they've got now they see all of these neighborhoods you've got a stronger voice
2: mm-hmm. there is
5: power in unity unity is that thing called the divided we fall united we that's that means something that's that's real, real. it's that's real. real it's real you know it's real we need to accept it you know believe in it and and use it and I think that part of, um,
4: you know, the spirit of old Jim Crow kind of hurts us in that aspect. I think that, I mean, now when we were experiencing Jim Crow, of course, we were in a lot of ways stronger and, and more self-reliant within our own community. But I can see how the, the traumas that came through the Jim Crow era for people of color and and black people, especially in this country, was so traumatizing. I said it is so to the thought of burning a, a city to the to ash and you know, and all of the horrors that were brought down upon black people. I mean, even me personally, you know, a lot of times we're just having an argument, but my grandmother's brother was castrated and burned in a house by the Klan in Alabama. Mm. That's real. That's my American history. You know, and I think about a profound impact my grandmother was in my life. And then I sit here as an adult and I think to myself of what was I deprived of because I didn't get this man in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the, and and like I said, through those horrors, and that is just an atrocity. You know, that is an atrocity so inhumane and malicious that it is it is almost like a wild animal you know only a wild animal would right. do something like that you know so you are looking at these behaviors that were were wrought upon black people and like i said that's just me and my i'm just the average citizen usa uh, with a with an american experience like everybody else but that's mine you know and i'm not alone in that i know i'm not alone in that there's been too many people hurt and and killed and raped i have rape in my family tree lots of it Mm -hmm. lots of rape Mm
5: -hmm. let's just i mean well you know when you dehumanize a person you could do anything Anything. you know like that to them but you first have to dehumanize them Mm
4: -hmm. And That's we all. have been. We have been very, the machine has, the propaganda machine has worked against us to dehumanize us. That's why I say it, the the old Jim Crow did some very, very traumatic and scary, scary things to us as black people. And they did it um, behind closed doors, but not really. You know, everybody in town knew who the grand dragon of the Klan was, and a lot of people sat next to him in church. Even though the, they know the night before he was out looting, re, uh, raping, and burning.
5: Oh, I worked, oh. I worked with him uh, on one of my jobs. Mm. They, they thought I was getting ready to get fired because I was getting ready to work with him. Mm. Mm. Sure enough, when I got on his crew, he uh, was at an airline, worked at an airline. Mm. When I got on his crew, you know, he was saying, don't don't help that black bee. you know, don't nobody help her, you know. So, but I went went. I had taken some tools from college. But then, and the funny thing is, is they were asked. They were worried about.
4: Are you gonna be all right?
5: Yeah. No, no. Know. They were they were patting me on the back, saying, "Uh, well, it was good working with you." They just knew I was getting ready to get fired. Yeah. Everybody was wishing me. You know. They to uh, fire him. They worried about you. You got. I going to get fired. Yeah, I was going to get fired. Like people have to say something to this fool. Yeah. That, right. <laughs> right, but but I had taken some tools from a college professor, and, and and that thing I said about dehumanizing, and he taught me that, and he said what you have to do is you have to you have to accidentally brush their 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 skin. You have mm. to show them that you're human. You have to get into close quarters with them. <laughs>
2: Every time,
5: nobody, everybody hated getting into the belly of the plane to load luggage. You know, I worked down on the ground where you you know bring the plane in and load the luggage. <laughs> And everybody, nobody liked getting into the belly. But I'd hurry up, jump in that plane with him. And when and the, you- the suitcases came, I'd purposely, you know, rub my let my arm touch his. And wow. then we had to sit there and wait for another load, you know. So we had to sit in that plane together. So I cracked jokes with him. Uh-huh. And it I got feel to like this point. is like Jane
4: Goodall when she was trying to talk to the monkeys, and she would, <laughs> the and he would like
5: put. <laughs> Exactly.
4: you
6: keep exactly. making the monkeys out like to be as wicked as people and I, i'm gonna object to that from the extinction <laughs> <Right>. rebellion <laughs> perspective you're like that's wild animals that wild animals would never castrate somebody and burn them in a house just by the way that's purely human that's purely
4: evil you know but here we <laughs> that's are human crazy but here she and if is, this like, is, this is this is america the woman has a job she has to, they are worried about don't offend the racist supervisor because we don't want you to hurt the racist supervisor's feelings and get <laughs> fired because he's right. going to be racist. Right. So that's America that they are worried about protecting the racist on his job. Yep. So he continues to be a racist ass asshat on the job.
5: Exactly. 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 While she is walking like, on eggshells. But when it was over, when it was all over when, when and the end game <laughs> he did he started doing my work for me he, and he let me go and rest he said the needle i got this plane <laughs> right but see you have to you have, have to
6: build
4: that bridge
6: but she didn't you walk on eggshells she went right up to him that was the genius yeah. oh, of yeah. her tools that's that's you a know? great story you guys
4: got some really good stories on here tonight about re- real history and I feel like, you know, that is so that is the story. If that is not the epitome of what it's like to be black in America, uh, I don't I know was, what it is. Oh uh, yeah. Shocked. So yeah, yeah, I am, I am Black B. Yeah. Yeah, huh?
5: I uh-huh. was I was <laughs> shocked when I saw that documentary with the Black where the Black Panther and <laughs> M went up to the Appalachian Mountains and and was shaking hands with the white folks there. And they wanted to partner with them. And I'm like, uh, really? <laughs> well, so you you know what goes in your ear. Somebody if somebody tells you this person is not human, if somebody's in this ear telling you stay away from those people, you know they ha- they have this, they have that, you know, are, and they're going to harm you. They'll kill your kids, you know. Then mm-hmm. and nobody's in this ear saying anything differently. If we stay away from them then how are they going to hear anything differently? Mm-hmm. You have to. I, that. I get that. And, and at the
4: end of the day, you were going to have to, you knew what it was. You couldn't quit your job. You knew whatever he was about to do to you, he was going to have to do to you, didn't you, sis? You was like, well, it's going to have to be what it is, I suppose. I, he can't burn me up in this plane. He can't wear the hood up in here. <laughs> but apparently, whatever major airline you were working for was like, well, he could if he wanted to.
5: <laughs>
6: <laughs>
1: he was the
5: grand dragon, the grand dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. The grand and wasn't shamed of it. That's what I'm saying. He's not ashamed of it. He ain't
4: hiding it. And they is- were, and the crew was following everything he said. <laughs> that's what, and that's the conundrum of white America, the entire span of Jim Crow. Because there was not a lot of people that were on board with Jim Crow, but they was just, they didn't know what else to do. They was just like, I don't know. Should we follow him? Everybody else is following him. I I don't know. He never done nothing to me. (laughs) You know, they get into these self, these conflicts of self interest within themselves because it's got to be hard. Girl, can you imagine? Going to church one on Sunday morning and sitting down next to somebody you know lynched or or, or castrated a man and burn him up in the church or burn him up in the house and you sit next to him with your children the next day, he still smell like smoke. Yeah, that's got to be terrifying. That's very
5: trauma traumatizing.
4: Traumatizing. Yeah. Holy crap! You so it it just like Jim Crow hurt us. It hurt everybody. Yeah
2: right right
4: it hurt everybody and gave us a certain sense of self-entitlement and safety to certain factions in our community like i said they thought our silence was just compliance but it was really just actually fear because you're a card-carrying psychopath who will castrate a a man and burn him alive
3: (laughs) Money,
5: (laughs) money and power they they're leaders Mm-hmm. If you've got money or power, you're, you know, you're,
4: you're... right. Your, your guy at work, he had power. That grand yeah. dragon, he had yeah. power. You yes. had no power. You were not That's a grand drag You had no power.
5: Here he is in no. charge of a huge hate group, totally no, run have power, but you have to use it. You have this the way that you use it. We all have power, it's the way that you use it. You you know, have don't to be afraid it. to use it. Oh, absolutely.
4: I'm not I'm not saying that you, I know you are a very powerful lady, but like I said, in that genre, in that arena, in that moment, you couldn't show that. You and not keep your job in the way, but you did show it by not acting crazy in there with him. <laughs> <laughs> I said the demonstration of patience. You know, they talk about black people and our love of God and, and but my best friend. <laughs> like I said it, the, the peace that comes from knowing God. That's what uh, that Blake's young man Blake Mama said. He said, the peace and serenity that comes from knowing God is why <laughs> we can go into our jobs and do the things that we do and not oh. say the word. yeah this personal relationship with the Lord. Hmm. It's gotta be because I just some of this stuff that we go through like, as a community as a whole, if whether you it's because you're a woman, because you're a minority, because of your income, you know, there are so many different reasons why we don't get to participate like others do. But to see what go- people go through and overcome, like you said, there's power in unity and there's power in self. Like I said, it's just knowing that you have the two. That that
2: people need to grasp. Let me read this, uh, read this quote. Uh, So Michelle Alexandra decided to uh, focus on black men in the book. And she says, why focus on black men? This question is usually asked by black women. They want to know what inspired me to write a book specifically focused on the experience of black men in the war on drugs. Some women express deep gratitude for this approach. After reading the book, they say, they were able to view their relationships with their husbands, partners, fathers, uncles, brothers, cousins, and sons through a different lens. One middle-aged Black woman told me through tears that she had not spoken to her father in more than 30 years. But after reading this book, she visited him in prison for the first time since childhood she realized that she had blamed her father for leaving her in her youth. The book helped her to see how his disappearance was largely a product of forces and systems beyond his control. Her experience was not unique. Over the years, many women have shared with me that reading The New Jim Crow allowed them to release some of the hurt and anger they felt toward black men in their lives men they felt had betrayed them by returning to prison after promises not to do so, or who had failed to secure jobs or housing upon their release and were therefore unable to help support their families. As one woman put it, I'm still angry that he can't seem to get a good job and that he's been rearrested twice and that I'm the one who has to feed our kids and bail him out. But now, I don't just blame him. I see the whole system is working to keep us down, and I want to do something about it. Sounds like
0: America isn't just separating kids and parents at the border, but in our black and brown communities oh. all around the country, right?
2: Yeah, every person that gets arrested, think that there's somebody's son, somebody's brother, somebody's father. Um, you know, and and the the ripple effect and the number of people that are just one or two degrees separation from the person who was arrested or the person who is on parole and therefore has very limited uh, you know rights and opportunities uh, on parole or or just has a felony record and has to check that box that says have you ever committed a felony yes i have so Uh how hard is it to get a job well, well you have no
4: representation um, at that point if you're a felon. A lot of states don't even allow you to ever vote again, ever in yep. the rest of your life if you're a felon.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Ka, okay, you get the last word here. We're running out of time. Well, folks, uh,
1: America's had a choice uh, after the Civil War and after the Civil Rights Movement to welcome and embrace black black folk and work together to build a better country. And uh, America, unfortunately. Uh, Uh, that made the wrong choice twice. Yeah. So what are we going to do?
0: It's a, That's a, a pressing note to end on there. A provocative <laughs> K.A. as usual. Um, unfortunately, we're all out of time for this book club of the air here on Truth to Power, inspired by the 10th anniversary of Michelle Alexander's new Jim Crow. I want to thank everybody who joined in in the virtual studio with us today. Alice Melendez from Extinction Rebellion Kentucky got a word in edgewise. Welcome. Uh, good to have you, Alice. Thanks. Come up back again anytime. Uh, we also want to thank uh, Kelly McGuffey down in Springfield Tennessee to see. Uh, Wow, you you have so many powerful things to say. I always love talking to you. Danita Wright, Coalition for West Louisville Neighborhood Associations. Thanks so much for joining us today from your sunny virtual room. (laughs) And K.A. Owens from On the Edge and Hart Hagen from the Climate Report and Let's Talk. Uh, It's great to co-host with you all. Uh, I'm Justin Mogg, host of Sustainability Now. And thank you all for tuning in this week. And uh, we'll be back in your ears again in one week's time here on Forward Radio. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank
4: you, Justin. Thanks, Hart.
0: Thanks, Michael. Okay. Thank Alice. Bye now. Bye, Denise. Bye.